the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Thessalonians. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. God's not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. That is a proof text verse for why it is that the church, that Christians, do not go through the Great Tribulation. We don't experience the destruction because that's why Paul adds here, God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath in the same way that he rescued the righteous in the day of Noah, in the same day that he rescued Lot and his family before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You see time after time after time that when great judgment comes, God rescues the righteous. God cares deeply for His people. Just look through the Bible to find evidence. He rescues the righteous, and He's patient. He gives chance after chance for people to repent and come to Him. He sent His Son, His only Son, to the earth to die for everyone, to be the Savior we all so desperately need. As Pastor Gary wraps up his series in the book of 1 Thessalonians today, He'll be talking about when Christ will return and what will happen to believers at that time and how God's goodness will still be evident. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 6 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. When the opening of the fourth seal, that there will be the death of some unbelievers. It tells us in chapter 6 of Revelation that death was given power to kill a fourth of the world population by sword, famine, and plague. Now, that's interesting. This is all part of God's judgment. Look, don't get lost in the idea of this sounds like a really angry God who's really mad at the world, and I can't believe he's, he's going around introducing plagues and famine and death like this. So let me help you with with that, because I know that that can be very hard to understand. When you had to learn a really hard lesson, what did it take? It took a lot, right? When, when, When we are stubborn about something and we need to learn a lesson, we often learn a lesson the hard way. And those life lessons that we learn the hard way are often very, very painful. So I want you to understand what is going on here. The earth is about ready to be destroyed. There are plenty of people on the planet who have thumbed their nose at God, been angry with God, uh, rebelled against God, hate God, and make it known. What does it take to reach those people? And so this is God's wake-up call. Will this be devastating? Yes. Will this be horrific? Yes. Will this be tragic? Yes. Yes to all the above. Check, check, check. But when you realize that everything is about ready to come to an end, everything on the planet is about ready to come to an end, because what's going to happen on that timeline is, 
after all of this, there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and that's it. And people who don't know the Lord, they're done. And only those who know the Lord go on into eternity. And you talk about living happily ever after, that's what's going to happen forever and ever and ever. So what is it going to take to wake up this last generation at that time when Christ comes who have been angry and rebellious towards God? It's going to take this stuff that we're reading. So, so when you look at this, say, this, this is terrible. This is, I can't believe God would do this. No, realize, God loves so much that he actually goes to this great extent inflicting all of this on the world so that finally some will wake up and say, okay, and cry out to God. So as hard as this all sounds, remember the motivation is the love of a father who doesn't want this last generation to completely perish. So he's going to come on strong and say, can you hear me now? Right? And so that's what's going to be happening here through the series of all these things. What's interesting about what the Bible says concerning the death of a fourth of the world's population at the seal number four is that it includes not just the sword and famine, but plague. Plague. Those of you history buffs will know this, but after World War II, more people died in Europe from influenza and typhoid than all the casualties of World War II. Plague. Plague is what hit Europe because of the unsanitary conditions following the war, World War II. More people died from influenza and typhoid than died from casualties in war. So that's what will happen. Seal number five is the death of some believers. Now, why would some believers die? Well, again, these are the believers who come to faith in Christ after the rapture. They're here on the planet. And again, they're going to be killed. They're going to be martyred for their faith because they don't worship the beast or take the mark of the beast. So that's why they're going to die. But they'll go to heaven, so they're going to be okay in the long run, and they'll be united with us, who are already there. And then seal number six gets opened, and it's worldwide disasters. The Bible describes earthquakes, a blood red moon, volcanic activity, meteor showers. People, you know, we had like a blood red moon recently, and people were like all jacked up about that. And like, oh, it's the second coming of Christ, friends. Listen, when all that happens... The world is going to be falling apart. A fourth of the world's population is going to be dead. You you will clearly know the blood red moon, all right? Don't look at it now and think, hey, Jesus is coming. No, you'll know when he's here. Revelation 8 to 9 then talks about a series of six trumpets that are blown. And in the series of the six trumpets, what we find in, in, in trumpet number one is a third of the earth is burned. It talks about in in Revelation 8 about how there will be hail and fire mixed with blood that falls upon the earth. Trumpet number 2 is sounded. A third of the sea becomes blood. Uh, It tells us also in Revelation there that something like a huge mountain all ablaze falls into the sea, and that's probably an asteroid, and a third of the sea creatures die, and a third of the ships are destroyed by impact. That's what it tells us in Revelation. This is what's coming upon the earth. Trumpet number three is sounded, and then a third of the fresh water becomes bitter. It talks about how a great star blazing like a torch falls into the fresh water uh, around the globe, and that might be very well a comet. Trumpet number four is sounded, a third of the light sources are darkened. It tells us in Revelation 8 and 9 that a third of the sun, a third of the moon, a third of the stars become darkened. Uh, Trumpet number five is sounded, and mankind is tortured by demons. Uh, It tells us in Revelation 9 that 
the worst of the demons, you know, look, when Satan fell and many angels rebelled with him, those rebellious angels now inhabit the spirit realm and they're called demons. But the Bible tells us that the worst of those demons, the worst of the worst, were kept by God's mercy in a dungeon in the abyss. But that there will come a time when that abyss will be opened and the worst of those demons will be allowed to come and to torment mankind. And then trumpet number six is sounded and a third of mankind uh, on the planet killed by those demons. This is not This is not getting any better. This gets progressively worse. Let me share with you then the pouring of the seven bowls from chapter 16. So we have the series of these different things that are unfolding on the planet during the seven years of tribulation. We go from the seals to the trumpets, and now these bowls, some of your translations might say vials or dishes that are poured out. And it's this symbolism of God is now pouring out on the earth more judgment. It talks about how there will be sores Bowl number one, soars on those with the mark of the beast. So those who take the mark of the beast will be afflicted with serious sores. This is very similar to the sixth plague of Egypt when God put boils on people for their refusal to let the Jewish people go. Bowl number two, all the seas become blood and all the sea creatures die. You have to imagine the stench Okay, you, you have a lot of people dead, you have sea creatures dead, you have, you know, blood itself smells, you have the stench of that. I mean, it's going to be the sights, the sounds, and the smells of the seven-year period of tribulation will be tormenting all by itself. Uh, bowl number three is poured out, and all fresh water is going to become blood. Now, 70% of the earth's surface is covered in water. 70% of the earth's surface is covered in water. of that water is salt water. Only 3% of all the world's water source is fresh water, and 2% of that is kept within the polar ice caps and glaciers. Human civilization, this is just a matter of fact, human civilization right now survives off of 1% of the water source on the planet. So how fragile is the water supply that if fresh water is impacted in any way, how that will affect global population? Ball number four, the scorching sun. It talks about how the sun will become intense and will be scorching. Uh, Dr. Henry Morris said that if the sun increases by seven times, It would melt all the polar ice caps and glaciers, raising water levels 100 feet globally. So when I heard that statistic, I got online, and there's this uh, website called climatecentral.org, and they they talk about how if the global uh, water systems were, if all the oceans and and the water supply around the world were to rise only 10 feet, more than what it is now. Now, Morris, Henry Morris said that if the sun scorches and melts all the polar caps and glaciers, it'll rise 100 feet. But if, if the oceans only were to rise 10 feet, according to climatecentral.org, it would wipe out 28,800 square miles of land in the United States, and it would impact 12.3 million people. And among the cities, according to the website, with the greatest population impacted by just 10 feet 
of the ocean water rising. New York City, 703,000 people. New Orleans, 342,000. Miami, 275,000. These are the top 10 cities in the United States that would be impacted, that would be deluged with water. Uh, Hialeah, Florida, 224,000. Virginia Beach, 195,000. Fort Lauderdale, 160,000. Norfolk, 157,000. Stockton, California, 142,000. Metairie, uh, Louisiana, 138,000. And Hollywood, Florida, 126,000. Those are the top 10 cities impacted by the water rising only 10 feet. So this is all serious stuff. I got to keep moving on. Bowl number six, the Euphrates dries up, demons incite war. When, when the Euphrates dries up, it opens up a travelway for all of the nations from the Pacific Rim. You're going to have China, you're going to have Japan, you're going to have Korea, you're going to have Pakistan, Afghanistan, uh, you're going to have Iran, uh, India. They will all converge and make war against Israel, and they will be able to come across Uh, moving from uh, east to west because the Euphrates dries up, the Bible tells us. And then there will be this great earthquake. That's uh, bowl number seven. And believe it or not, the Bible talks about 100-pound hailstones. And friends, that's going to dent your car. (laughs) So those are some of the things happening. Not a pretty picture, uh, but this is the kind of destruction that Paul is referring to here in chapter five, all of these things happening that are spelled out in a lot more detail in Revelation. Let's go back here now to our chapter. He says in verse 4, But you, brothers, are not in darkness, circle that word, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light, circle that word, and sons of the day. And he's going to make this reference to darkness and light. Now, you will notice that there are many times through the Bible that the Bible talks about light and darkness, light and darkness, light and darkness. And it is imagery for the contrast of two worlds. You have darkness, which is a picture of the world in which we live now. It's a picture of sin. Uh, It's a picture of Satan. It's a picture of our fallen world. That's darkness. And then it's juxtaposed with the the, the idea of light, which is a, a different world that we step into when we get saved. Light is about forgiveness of sins. Light is about Jesus. Light is about salvation. It's about the hope of heaven. And so in the Bible, many places, in fact, John writes about light and darkness more than anybody else in his Gospels and in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And just to give you a, a couple of references, in John three nineteen to 21, this is what John said. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. He's talking about Jesus. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. When you receive Christ, you step into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Jesus himself said in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus said in John 12, 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And, and Peter talks about it in 1 Peter 2, 9, about how we're a chosen people, that God delivered us from darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. And so we've stepped into the light when you become a Christian. All of this terminology throughout the Bible, and Paul picks it up here as well. And he says about these end-time events, because you live in the light, if you know Christ, don't be surprised by this stuff. We should be prepared. We should be ready for the imminent return of Christ. We don't live in darkness. You know, we're, we're not oblivious to this. We're aware of it. The Bible predicts it. God tells us in advance. These are the things that are going to happen. So be aware and be ready and be watching. So keep reading with me the rest of verse 5. He says, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, 
Verse 6, let us not be like others who are asleep, just a figurative word for those who are just spiritually um, unaware, they're asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. So again, he's contrasting. He's like, you know, listen, there's people who live in darkness. That's what this world is about. And by the way, we shouldn't become complacent with that notion. We should do all we can as believers to let his light so shine in our lives that people will see our good deeds and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. So we should be, you know, advancing his light into a dark world so people can come to know Christ. We don't want people that we love to experience this stuff. If you read Revelation 6 to 18 and that doesn't motivate you to want to share your faith with people who are lost, I don't know what will. Because we don't want people to experience this. God wants none to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so because we're children of the light, not people who live in the darkness, we don't do the stuff that people do who live in the darkness. They get drunk at night, they carouse at night, you know, they do all those things, you know, they, they hang out, they do stuff that they just do. But we're different. And so he says that we need to be self-controlled. We need to put on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Look at verse 9. I love this verse. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now listen, you can underline that in your Bible because I think that is strong biblical evidence for why we are rescued from this earth before the tribulation. Because in the context of this chapter, Paul says, listen, destruction is going to come. It's going to come upon people. They're not even going to be aware of it. He says, but not you. Because you as a believer in Christ, you walk in the light as he is in the light. That's why you have fellowship with the Father. And so you're not unaware of these things. And by the way, God's not appointed us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation. That is a proof text verse for why it is that the church, that Christians, do not go through the great tribulation. We don't experience the destruction because that's why Paul adds here, God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath in the same way that he rescued the righteous in the day of Noah, in the same day that he rescued Lot and his family before he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You see time after time after time that when great judgment comes, God rescues the righteous. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't go through tribulation small t while we're on earth. There will be a lot of things in the course of life that are hard and difficult and, and grievous, but capital T tribulation, we have the hope of Christ and that He will rescue us from this dark world because He didn't appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we're presently alive or whether we've died and gone to be with Him, we may live together with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing, right? This is encouraging to remember he's coming again, and he doesn't want us to suffer wrath, and he's going to rescue us from this world. And so his final instructions Paul gives us here in verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, no retaliation, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. You see all that? 
Just great little directives, little exhortations as he closes out this letter. He says, respect your, your, your spiritual leaders. And he says, and deal with difficult people in a right way. You know, warn people who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Don't retaliate. Be kind to everybody. And then he says, verse 16, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, last week, four I will statements that God says clearly from 1 Thessalonians, this is my will. The first one from chapter 4 was to avoid sexual sin. And then he tells us three more directives here. It is my will that you should be joyful always. That doesn't mean to be a plastic Christian and pretend like, you know, nothing's ever wrong and just put on a fake smile. It just means in the midst of what you're going through, consider it pure joy. Because God is on the throne, and even in our darkest hours, joy supersedes the circumstance. And it's different from happiness. Happiness is very circumstantial. It comes and goes as your circumstances improve or not. But joy is a constant because it's based on who Christ is. And it's anchored in Him. And it's a reminder that, okay, my world might be falling apart, but Jesus is on the throne and He loves me. And I have my eternal reward in store for me. And so that's what real joy is, keeping me. And pray continually. This is part of God's will. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not just when it's convenient. In all circumstances. Now, you, don't have to, you don't have to thank, oh, I had a car accident. I wrecked my car today. Praise Jesus. I mean, it's not, it's not like, you know, don't, don't get weird. Just, just, but you can say, hey, but praise God, I walked away from it. You know, always look for the God moment, even in those times where you feel like this, this really stinks. Look for the God moment because there's, the, there's that God element in everything. There truly is. There's some aspect of God's faithfulness and his goodness to us. So give thanks in all circumstances. All these things, God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. He says, verse 20, do not treat prophecies with contempt. You know, the gift of prophecy is a real gift. And that God gives some people where they can foretell the word of God or, or they can even tell someone something relative to, you know, this word from the Lord. But, here's the caution, okay, look at his next verse, test everything, test everything. If somebody comes up to you and says, hey, the Lord told me to tell you this, just receive it graciously and say, okay, but then test it. And you test it by making sure, number one, it never contradicts anything from Scripture because God would never contradict himself. Make sure it never contradicts Scripture and make sure that if somebody says, I have this prophetic word for you, I feel like God's laid it on my heart, that they present it with humility and they defer to you, and that it's never direction. It is only confirmation. If God has not shown you first, don't receive it. Because God will often give a prophetic word or some word by the Spirit as a way to confirm something. But you have a direct line to God too. Don't let somebody come up to you and say, God, you know, maybe God didn't tell you this, but he told me this on your behalf. Really? <laughs> well, then why don't you do it? You know, then leave me out of it. But if it's a confirming word, you know, pray over it, make sure it doesn't contradict Scripture, and, and embrace it. Hold on to the good, he says. Verse 22, avoid every kind of evil. And then he says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming again. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Okay, don't get crazy. Just, you know, with a holy kiss. Just, you know, 
Middle Eastern style, right? Left, right. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you're interested in hearing this message again or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. This is a great way to keep up with Pastor Gary's studies and to have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Once there, simply look under the Teachings tab. You can also learn more about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be excited to meet you if you're in the area. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We trust you've been encouraged by today's teaching from the book of 1 Thessalonians, and we encourage you to read over today's message on your own. And then make plans to join Pastor Gary again for more from this New Testament letter right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.